Oh man, it is refreshing to be with you. I was just thinking that all my friends are back in California sleeping, missing this. And uh, I'm so grateful that I'm with you. Just to benefit from you and to hear all that the Lord's doing in you and among you is just so encouraging. So thanks for having me again. If you turn your uh, Bibles again to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, same text as this morning. And as you find your place, let me introduce you to my youngest child. She's two years old. Her name is Willa Love. You can humor me if I've mentioned her before to you. Uh, she, she was a total surprise. I know I, I know I look like a young father. Uh, we weren't looking to have more children. Uh, we have four children that are basically teenagers at this point, all of them teens. And I had assumed the baby years were... Uh, behind us, but then we were hit. You know, I hit a ninth inning home run, and Willow, Willow, Willow has proven to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, so it goes without saying. Just a few Sundays ago, just a few Sundays ago, uh, on a mo- Sunday morning, um, the the service began, and for the first time ever, little two year old Willow Love joined in singing with the family. So she got up, she gave up on her pouting and, you know, getting traded between all the siblings and just trying to manage her. And she started to stomp her feet and she was clapping her hands and she's just down there between my wife and I. And you could tell she's singing, can't hear what she's singing, but she's singing on the top of her lungs. And I mean, the whole family, the people in the next row, our friends behind us, everybody was just delighting in Little Willow. Love, and she was into it, and I was into it. We were all into it, and we were proud, and uh, it was a very special moment. True story, though. As the the song ended, (laughs) and we sang that last line in the song, as we we sang, it is well with my soul, and uh, for the first time as the, the voices trailed off, we could hear what Willow had been singing, and down her little voice down from below came up, uh, now I know my ABCs. <laughs> Next time, won't you sing with me? <laughs> Willow was all heart, but she had no clue. <laughs> all heart, but no clue what we were singing about. <laughs> she, she was filling in the lines with, with, with what, whatever her two-year-old mind would, would come to mind, and, and, and we couldn't stop laughing. I had a hard time collecting myself to leave the meeting. Um, but, but I tell that story because I suspect Willow isn't alone. She's, she's not alone. Uh, not, in, not in our congregation in Orange, not in many churches, in my area, probably not in your area. She's probably not alone even here at Sovereign Grace Church. At some point or another, hopefully less and less often, but potentially more than we care to admit, we, we too can be all heart, but have no clue. We end, up, we end up filling the lines, filling in the lines with whatever comes to mind on topics as grand as God is love, or this evening, 
we are loved by God. I think this happens especially when it comes to things we think we know a lot about, but don't. Like, say, for instance, love. What is love? Just defining love is a challenge. You know, how, many, how many times, if you think about this before we read the text, how many songs are being written, sermons are being preached that, that concern the astounding reality that, that as new creatures in Christ, adopted and welcomed in to the life of the Trinity, we can sing and we, that we are loved by God. How frequently, I, I fear, do we end up filling in the lines with whatever comes to mind, all heart and no clue at all. The other night, uh, oh, this, this was so fun for me, at least because I, I'm going to be going home soon, but I'll take the blame. I was with the Taylor kids, and we began scheming to start a, a new website for all the songs that their father doesn't let them sing in church. <laughs> we, 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 we're going to name it guiltyworshippleasures.com. <laughs> And it, and it didn't take long as we sat around the table to start coming up with like a healthy list of worship songs that we know aren't theologically correct. All heart, but no clue. Some of them downright not even close. But we like them anyways. So we're going to create a website. Well, it's funny because it's true. It's on my, they're on my list, on my phone. This evening, I, I want to build upon what we began this morning. Perhaps, though, that as we recommit ourselves to not only knowing that God loves us, but experiencing that love, we can clearly articulate what that means. What does it mean, and we were singing it tonight, what does it mean when we say we are loved by God? Would you look with me again at our text? 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, I'll read and then pray for understanding. John writes, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. These are the very words of God. Would you just join me in a prayer? that we would understand them. Father, when everything is working right and our souls are healthy, our hearts pant for you like a deer pants for water. But when they don't, 
and I confess often my heart is not working rightly. We, we grow distant and disinterested and discontent and tempted to doubt. We, we drink from polluted wells rather than the fountain of your love. So I pray tonight again you would train us, teach us, heal broken hearts and change patterns in our hearts and in our minds that have been wasted away on inferior things. Father, I pray you would sharpen us. Sharpen us that when we have the world in our hand, we can decide where will I go to meet the deepest cravings of my heart? Father, Father, I pray, send your Holy Spirit. Have your way among us. Fill me that I might serve my friends well for your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the A.W. Tozer. The old quote gets thrown around all the time. There's that, that line at the beginning of his book, The Knowledge of God. He, he, he writes, this is a very famous quote, what comes into our minds, right, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Have you ever heard that quote? What, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It, it gets kicked around, and, I, and I've been wrestling with it, actually, of, of late over the last few years, especially as I find myself more and more often sitting across from a coffee, you know, at a coffee shop at a table with some new believer who's, who's wrestling with assurance that, that God loves them and that they are saved. And I'm starting to wonder if that old quote is, in fact, entirely accurate or not. I get, I get what he's saying, right? It's rather provoking, What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. It's pretty snappy, but listen, listen. Would it be more accurate and helpful instead, follow my logic, that what comes into God's mind when he thinks about us is the most important thing about us? What comes into God's mind when he thinks about us is the most important thing about us. Not what I think about him, what he thinks about me. My thoughts about God, I don't know about you, my thoughts about God are rather fickle. I wake up every, every morning, I wake up an atheist. And I need someone to preach the gospel to me again as I struggle just to get out of bed. Right? What he thinks about me never changes. And matters infinitely more. In the end. And and there's where it gets really good. For if you are in Christ, united to Jesus by faith, joined by the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Regeneration, a remaking of you, a reanimation of you. What comes into God's mind when he thinks about you is the same thing he thinks about his very one Son, in whom you are now one. Love. Right? That's what we've been talking about. Love. We are, fundamentally, when you strip it all away, and you pull back the curtain, and you ask the question, 
Who are we? We are the beloved. It's all over our Bibles. We're the bride. We're the prize. We're his inheritance. We're his treasure. We're, not, we're his treasure not because of who we are, no, but because we have taken on an entirely new identity. We are those who are loved by God. First John 4 again, if you look, verse 7. First word, beloved. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and invited into the life of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love, and to be united to God is to be united to the one who is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We're united to him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, you catch that logic. This is who we are. Those that he has loved. Now, I wish I could remember what I shared before, first night, I love sentences, right? Maybe a paragraph here and there. One scholar I collected at some point, grabbed it, can't remember, but he, he comments here, and you could feel the, the progress maybe we've already made in just Saturday morning coming in here from, from God is love to now we are loved by God. Here's, here's what one scholar <laughs> is now unknown to us. Right? Listen. The cross gives finite human beings a small taste of what it's like to be a member of the Trinity. Now, now if you're starting to experience maybe in a fresh way the sweetness of God's love. The cross gives finite human beings a small taste, as we're invited in, of what it's like to be a member of the Trinity. And he writes, for, for in the moment of his sacrificial death, Jesus gave to us what he had given to the Father throughout all eternity. Everything. Now, with that said, a few additional statements to add to the statements this morning. Maybe to whet our appetite regarding the subject at hand, we are loved by God. Here's it is, statement number one. Statement number one. Calvary or the cross, Calvary is irrefutable proof that God loves you. Calvary is irrefutable proof that God loves you. First John four again, first John four again, verse nine. Here it is. Here's the logic, God's logic. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Calvary is irrefutable proof that God loves you. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Greater love, we heard this tonight, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It either holds or it doesn't. You can't have it both ways. The logic demands you choose. Trust Christ as the Father-initiated substitution of his one son for us, his many sons, and then because you have trusted in Christ and his work on the cross, we get to live forever in the good of his steadfast love or reject it all. You can't have one of them. The refrain from Scripture never changes. God the Father handed over God the Son because he loved us. Calvary is irrefutable proof for us, the faithful, that God loves us. And because of that, you and I must answer that survey every time. Every time you get to sit in a seminary class and where the room is full and the professor asks, do you believe that God loves you? Our answer is yes. Why? It's Calvary. Calvary itself teaches us, I am loved by God. It's, been, it, it's said all the time, worth repeating, The gospel is this. We are more sinful than we ever dared believe, right? Yet more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Listen, wondering wondering if there's enough forgiveness for your sin. It's like a child wondering if there's enough water in the ocean to fill his sippy cup. We're more sinful than we ever dared imagine. But Calvary teaches us that we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. You might say, beyond our wildest dreams. That's the testimony of Scripture. Our minds cannot comprehend what the outcome of Calvary means for you and I. If, do you still have reservations? Do you still have reservations? Does, does God love me? I believe I'm united to Christ. I know my Savior. But I'm not sure he loves me all the time. Look, listen. Maybe, maybe it's because we're praying for folks tonight. You have a, your heart's just gone cold. Or, or maybe you're struggling with some sort of unrepentant or just some sin that you're fighting with. Or you, you're just thinking about last Saturday night. Listen, you know what Calvary teaches us? God's very, very angry about our rebellion. But he will never resent your return. Never resent your return. 
like Riley shared, the prodigal son and the father. The ground's level at the cross. It's where heaven and earth meet and love. Love is proven for us. Just go and do your business and allow the love of God to be poured into your heart. Calvary is irrefutable proof. Statement number two. Statement number two, what matters most is that he loves us, not that you love him. What matters most is that he loves us, not that you love him. And I'm, I'm no, in no way conceding, listen, I'm no way conceding any ground regarding the claim upon our lives as God's beloved to reflect back that love, his love back to him by keeping his, just his greatest commandments, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor. There's no commandment greater than these, Jesus says. But still, but still when we're talking about we are loved by God, what matters most is that he loves you. Not that you love him back. Back to 1 John 4 again, verse 10. In this is love. Here's the logic. Not that we have loved God. What are we talking about when we're talking about we are loved by God? Not that we have loved God but that he loved us. J.I. Packer, another one of my favorites. You're going to start buying books. If, if Dave's not selling you enough books yet, I'll get you more books to read. J.I. Packer, this is what he writes in The Knowledge of God. Uh, what matters supremely is not, he gets this one, it's not in the final analysis the fact that we know God. What matters supremely is not in the final analysis the fact that we know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows us. This is the amazing grace. He knows us. He knows you. J.I. Packer writes, we are graven on the palms of God's hand. You're never out of God's mind. All of your... All of your knowledge of God depends on God's sustaining initiative in knowing you first. You know God because God knows you and continues to know you. This is so important. Listen, this is what J.I. Parker writes. He writes, he knows you as a friend There is no moment when his eye is off you or his attention distracted from you and no moment there for when his care for you falters. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the scandalous truth that sinners like me and like you, God's enemies, are loved by God. That's... That's not, you know, just to be crass, that's not Jesus is our boyfriend, right? That's, that's not the Father wants to cuddle with us. 
No, no, this is, this is graven on his hands. This is the language of slavery. Bondsman, a branding of one party to prove property of the other. The, the servant, the servant would be marked with an indelible mark as proof that the master owns you. We're not talking about budding romances here. <laughs> no, rather, rather than you bearing the name of Christ on your hands, this is what we're talking about when we talk about the quality of what is this thing? We are loved by God. You don't bear his name on yours. He bears yours on his. Your name is graven on his hands. My name is graven on his hands. Our names are etched into his human body. A permanent memorial and trademark that he belongs to us. He belongs to us. Christ is mine forevermore. That's what we mean when we say we are loved by God. Oh my, one more statement. One more statement. Here it is, number three. We will never know how much he loves us. We will never know how much he loves us. The, the plans are already in motion. Listen, the plans are already in motion. Written, certified, sealed. An agenda a future agenda unlike any meeting you have ever been to. You and I are going to spend the rest of our eternal lives experiencing uninter an uninterrupted stream of like aha moments. How much does he love us when we say we are loved by God? How, how much does he love us? Well, we could just go all the way back to the beginning. How, how much does the Father love the Son? John 15, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, it's Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. And here's, here's the instruction. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in that love. I'm 
some of us, myself included, struggle believing that God would love me that much. Struggle to imagine that he could love me that much. Another book. I'm going to sell you books. The Deep Things of God, how the, how the Trinity Changes Everything. Here's what Fred Sanders writes. He writes, the gospel so outstrips our created measurements that it can be measured only against something as immense as God himself. And since the only thing as immense as God himself is God himself, we must spend eternity looking to him to get our bearings as to what the magnitude of the benefits of the love of God expressed in the gospel, Calvary. He writes, the gospel is so deep that it not only meets our deepest needs, but it comes from God's deepest self. We will never comprehend never comprehend how much he loves us. I struggle. I don't know, you could join me in this struggle. I struggle to think that no matter how much I wrestle, there's still more. Come to grips with, okay, I know I'm not lovable, but I understand the the gospel math. Right? Everybody gave me some time. I've, I've caught up only to realize there's so much more. So much more. There, there are so many different ways that the Bible talks about love. We can get stuck on just one dimension. Oftentimes today, I think at least in our culture in California, that dimension is, is rom- romance, sentimentality. But the Bible speaks about love in all kinds of ways. He, he speaks about it in his intra-Trinitarian relationship. We've been talking a lot about that today. But he also talks about his providential love, his, his love and care for creation. He talks about a father's love. I was talking about that with someone at lunch today. This, this love that a father, that a parent has for a child that's just different. Why Willow is the most inf- one of the most influential women in my life. Because <laughs> I'm her father. And father's love. The whole testament feels like one big yearning kind of love. As God, God chases after Israel. The Bible talks about an electing love. A very calculated love, a very measured love, a very planned out kind of love. All throughout the scriptures, God describes love as covenantal in nature, a permanent bond and agreement kind of love. Marriage as a metaphor. This is why Paul prays for the Ephesians. You know this 
prayer, and it's so rich. You can turn there if you fast enough. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Watch now his prayer for them to grow in their knowledge of God, but how love is just sprinkled in. For this reason, I, the Apostle Paul, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. May have strength because you're rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know what the enemy to this kind of experience is? The enemy is the little things in our lives. I heard your pastor, Dave, who I call the apostle to the nations, he's the director of emerging nations for our sister churches. I heard it mentioned a few times. It's, it's not the big things. It's the little things that we, using an eating metaphor, we, we nibble on. Ruining our appetite. Slowly wearing us down. Taking away our hunger. Forgot to answer a prayer like that. At this point, just thinking, just thinking logically, we've, we've, we've been talking about heaven is a world of love, and so then we talked about the God who is there. God is love, and now we're considering that we are loved by God. This kind of love. I would wonder, just as someone prayed this as well. I put it in my notes before I got here. I added it in. I would wonder if it's not at this point information that we are missing, if you're struggling. It's the courage to acknowledge the discrepancy between what we know. I know that God loves me, but I don't live in the good of his love for me. And so I settle for guiltyworshippleasures.com <laughs> and I sing with all my heart and I engage in all kinds of wonderful things. Satisfied to not have a clue as to what it really means to be loved by God. Let me, let me pray that prayer over you.
Father, for this reason, we bow our knees before the Father. That according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that we, being rooted and grounded in your love for us, may have the strength to comprehend and to measure and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that when we sing, we sing of your love for us. Oh, I pray you would do this. Pour out your spirit into our hearts. Give grant grace to repent where necessary. Grant grace to flee the small temptations that ruin our appetites for your love. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name.